Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Highway Community Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us wherever it is that you're tuning in from. You know, for a really long time, followers of Jesus have greeted each other on Easter Sunday by saying, He is risen, and responding with, He is risen indeed. You know, my mom loves that tradition. She's texted me that on Easter morning for as long as texting has been a thing, like all the way back to when I had one of those Nokia brick phones, you know, you go to a kiosk in the mall and buy different faceplates for, and, you know, swap out the keypad buttons for something cooler. And my first phone had a Texas flag faceplate and gold buttons on it, you know, because I, uh, I I wanted to be understated and subtle. <laughs> uh, my mom texts me this every Easter, and followers of Jesus have greeted each other with these words on Easter morning for a really long time. And these are words that are actually rooted in the very first Easter message, which we'll look at today. You know, these are words that give us hope. These are words that remind us that there is nothing, not even death, that's beyond God's reach, that God can't transform into something beautiful. You know, these are old words, but these are beautiful, powerful words. And look, I just want to offer this morning, we need them. I know I need them in my life. There's so many things happening in the world that are hard to understand. It's been a couple of years where it just seems like there's been this constant sense of being let down and disappointed. And both of those things can really influence the way that we see our lives and see the world around us. And so we need these words to give us perspective. When Brittany and I were newly married and living in Los Angeles, we went to check out the LACMA, which is the Museum of Modern Art there. And look, confession. Sometimes modern art is lost on me. Uh, I remember walking into this room that was empty except for one piece, which was lit up like they were very proud of it. And it was a rusted out old car that had half of a mannequin leaning over in the front seat, and the whole thing was covered in trash. I'm not joking. Uh, Sometimes modern art is lost on me. Uh, But the beauty of modern art is that it challenges our assumptions in our perspective. In the first Easter message, He is risen. It's about perspective. It invites us to see our lives and everything around us in light of the resurrection. It's a message of hope. It's a message that we need. As we get started this morning, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning, even digitally. God, I pray for everyone listening to this podcast, uh, no matter where they are, no matter what's going on in their lives, God, that they would know that you love them. God, that they would know that you love them and they would know hope because you've risen. I pray these things in and for your name. Amen. We're going to be spending our time in John chapter 20 today. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and turn or tap your way there. Uh, I'll be kind of reading through narration style uh, and then hopping into some of the verses. So it might actually be helpful uh, if you want to go ahead and open uh, a copy of the scriptures with you today. Uh, We've been in a series called Stations of the Cross, working our way through, you guessed it, the Stations of the Cross as a way to be present to the season of Lent, you know, and just to connect with Jesus, you know, what he went through, what experiences led to his crucifixion, and and in connecting with Jesus's suffering, you know, how isolated and lonely that journey must have been, the pain of being betrayed and denied by his closest friends, and, and the horrific physical pain of being nailed to a cross and just left there, you know, and all of it to remember that he willingly did it because he loved us. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And Friday, many of us got the chance to walk those stations here at our Mountain View campus as we remember Jesus's crucifixion. 
And yesterday we sat and waiting. You know, Holy Saturday is the in-between time. And so much of life feels like that, doesn't it? And so we waited in prayer and watched in expectation. It's that kind of moment that our passage begins with today. Yeah, last week, as Julie preached through Jesus' crucifixion, she reminded us of the women from Galilee who stayed through his death, who were present even when it was hard. And John 20 begins with Mary Magdalene, who was one of those women going to Jesus' tomb. She was picking right back up from last week, doing what she could to be present with Jesus, even in his death. You know, we know from other gospel accounts that she was following a custom of bringing perfumed oils and other things to place near Jesus' body. And she wanted to bring him dignity, even in his death. It's because she loved him. John 20 verse 1 tells us that when she got to where Jesus had been buried, she saw something that she didn't expect. Mary showed up at Jesus' tomb uh, that we know from other gospels tell us uh, was sealed shut and guarded by Roman soldiers. They wanted to make sure that no one faked Jesus' resurrection and used that to start a revolution against the Roman Empire. Mary showed up at the tomb and saw the stone had been moved. And so she ran back and found Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, which is John's lingo for himself. More on that in a moment. And she tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. See, this was not good news. The stone that was sealing the tomb, you know, protecting Jesus's body had been rolled away. It's like this nightmare weekend that couldn't get any worse actually did. And verse 3 tells us that Peter and John took off to go see for themselves. And verse 4 tells us that they ran. There was no Strava back then. Uh, They weren't trying to close their exercise rings. Running in that time was a dishonorable thing. Respectable men didn't run. They didn't hurry. They'd have to lift up all the different layers of their robes to run. It wasn't a good look. It wasn't distinguished, like my Texas flag phone with its gold buttons was. But what we learn in that story about a prodigal son that Jesus told is that you run to what you love. And just like the father in that story ran to his son who was coming home, Peter and John ran to the tomb. Because like Mary, they loved Jesus. I also love that John takes a low-key dig at Peter here for being slow. Look at verse (laughs) 4. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, Just imagine John with the other disciples being like, oh, yeah, Peter walked on water. Wink, you know, because he's slow. (laughs) Could you just imagine? As we look at these next four verses, look at what John draws our attention to. See, there's something that he and Peter see that makes them believe what happened. Verse 5, he, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Jesus' body would have been wrapped in these long linen strips, so it must have been quite a sight to see them just laying there. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Classic Peter. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. I'm sure Peter had some feelings about this. It was making some noise, or maybe it was just stunned silence, stunned silence and, and that's the thing that was strange. Either way, it was enough for John to actually go inside and see what's up. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, we get it, John, you're faster than Peter, also went inside. He saw and believed. And it wasn't that Jesus was alive. What John saw and believed was that the unthinkable had happened. 
that after the nightmare of watching Jesus be tried and executed like a criminal, now his body was gone. Someone took it, presumably to disfigure it even further. There was nothing left from the last three years of their lives except a pile of bloody linen strips and some cloth. Remember, this is a message about perspective. The first Easter message, he is risen, is about perspective. I've been hassling John a bit, but this next verse is incredibly humble. You know, if you're going to write a memoir about your time with the Savior of the world, uh, you sure think there'd be a lot of revisionist history going on. Uh, John doesn't do that, though. And the thought I want to connect for us this morning is that John knows that Jesus loves him. That's how he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I don't think that's a dig at the others. Does Jesus love them too? It's a declaration of identity. What John believes is most true about himself. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. And being so confident of that gave him the courage and the freedom to write this next verse and to record for all of history to read that in the most pivotal moment of all eternity, he didn't understand what was going on. See, that's what being sure of God's love does for us. It creates the courage and the freedom to be humble. To say we got it wrong because we're not trying to prove anything anymore. And and look, I know we're talking about perspective and resurrection and he is risen. But if you take one thing with you today, I hope it's the truth that God loves you. No matter what. And that won't change. As John knew it. And let him write things like this in verse 9. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John wrote that about himself. They're standing there at an empty tomb that's got this giant stone that was moved out of the way and staring at a pile of linen and cloth that were supposed to be around Jesus' dead body, and they still don't understand. His first Easter message is about perspective. And I don't want to hassle them too much because I recognize the same thing in my own life too. When my own expectations get in the way, the thing that God's actually trying to do. When I think God's not there or not doing anything, when God is just doing something different. It's consistent in all the Gospels. You know, the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was going to do, you know, what it meant for him to be the Messiah. And that word had so many assumptions and expectations built into it for a people who were being occupied and controlled by another empire. You know, Jesus was going to be the king that freed him. He wasn't going to die. And when Jesus started telling them, you know, really plainly that that's what was going to happen, you remember what Peter did? He rebuked Jesus because that's not how it was supposed to go. And all of those expectations, they collided with reality at the cross. Look, when expectations and hopes don't meet reality, that's when disappointment sets in. And it hurts. Some of you who are listening to this podcast with us know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why we need the Easter message. Because when our expectations don't match reality, that's when disappointment and hurt sets in. And what can happen is over time, that starts to slowly erode our capacity to hope. And without even really being aware of it, we start to shrink down what we think God wants to do in our lives and in the world, you know, or what we think God can do in our lives and the world to something from our perspective. This may be more realistic, you know, something we can understand, something that feels safe to put our expectations in. 
And that can happen until I would submit to you. We can stand in front of an empty tomb with a stone rolled away and a pile of linen and cloth sitting there and go, well, I guess someone took him. Because what else could it be? They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. Peter and John loved Jesus. And look, we can love Jesus and at the same time (laughs) not understand what he's doing. Have you ever experienced that? Jesus, I love you, but I got no idea what's going on right now. I'm here, like Mary, early in the morning to honor you. I've got my robes hiked up like Peter and John running like a fool in the streets to get to you. I love you, Jesus, but I've got no idea of what's going on right now. I don't understand what's happening. If that's you, you're not alone this morning. I don't know about you, but God's always pushing against my assumptions and expectations, reshaping them and reforming them to look more like his. And so that means I don't understand sometimes. Like modern art, sometimes what God is doing is lost on me. But we put an incredible amount of pressure on ourselves to understand, to be able to explain everything. That's why I love that authenticity is a core value at Highway. So you don't have to do that here. And for what it's worth, I think Jesus is honored more by honesty and humility than understanding everything. Mary and John and Peter loved Jesus, but they didn't understand what he was doing. And in a pretty traumatic way, their expectations, their hopes did not match reality. And it impacted their perspective. And so those strips of linen and cloth along with that rolled away stone and that empty tomb, represented the disappointment and finality of Jesus' death. And now even more loss, since they couldn't even properly mourn him anymore because his body was stolen. Verse 10 tells us Peter and John just went back home. Verse 11 tells us Mary stayed, because of course she did. And she stood there and just wept outside of Jesus' tomb. It's like everything she felt and experienced the pain and disappointment and loss was summed up in those tears. And this is where the story starts to turn, but not quite yet for Mary. She bent down to look in the tomb, and verse 12 tells us that she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. See, everything we see in her tears, we hear in her words. That pile of linen strips and cloth, that empty tomb, that rolled away stone, they're awful. They're final. They're the physical representations of everything that went wrong. Everything that was broken. From one perspective. See, that's the beauty of the resurrection. There's nothing, not even death, that's beyond God's reach. It's a big shift, though, especially if that hurt and disappointment runs deep. I mean, consider what happens next for Mary Magdalene. Look at verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Mary Magdalene thought he was a gardener. See, that's how powerful perspective is. That's how deep those expectations that crashed into reality must have run. 
the disappointment, the pain, the hurt, everything that had happened that she didn't understand. She just couldn't see. It was Jesus standing right in front of her. And verse 16 is so simple, but it's so beautiful. She couldn't see it was Jesus standing in front of her until she heard him call her name. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. So when she heard Jesus call her name, everything changed. In that moment, all that grief and sorrow and loss was transformed into a kind of joy I don't even think I can understand. And I bet that moment changed what she saw when she looked at that pile of linen and cloth, when she looked at that stone that was rolled away, and when she looked at that empty tomb. See, that's what resurrection does. It doesn't erase the pain and the suffering of the cross, and it won't do the same for whatever's happened in your life. But it does mean that that's not how the story ends. Because God can bring life and healing and restoration from anything, even death. And I wonder how many of us are scrambling around trying to make sense of everything we don't understand. When Jesus just wants us to hear him call our name. Wants us to hear him say, I love you. I know you. I'm with you. Not even death can stop me. I wonder how many of our questions that would actually answer. When was the last time you were just still and let Jesus talk to you about what's going on? If there's been a few years where expectations have had the chance to get smashed by reality, sure seems like the last couple would be near the top. I think we forget that sometimes. Look, there's friendships that are wrecked, families that are wrecked, marriages that are wrecked. Our country is pretty wrecked. Sociologists are saying we're more divided now than any other time in the Civil War. We've been confronted with the depths of the injustices that are experienced every day. And even in the church, I mean, if you're following the news in the last year or two, I mean, major church denominations are coming apart at the seams. And pastors that have been really influential, you know, really meant a lot to a lot of people. And churches that have been really influential and really meant a lot to a lot of people, they're just coming unglued. And what I've experienced in my own life and what I see happening around us is an erosion of our capacity to hope. Because of disappointment after after disappointment. And that creates a perspective. A way we see ourselves and the world around us. It sets our expectations of what's possible. You know, what God will do. Which with more and more disappointment, it just seems to get smaller and smaller. Where have your expectations crashed into reality? What are the piles of strips of linen strips and cloth in your life? And when you look at them, what do you see? When Mary heard Jesus call her name, she ran to him. And John writes this, starting in verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. 
and she told him that he had said these things to her. Yet Mary was always so faithful to stay with him. But here Jesus sends her with a message. The first Easter message. That the word who was with God in the beginning, who became flesh and dwelt among us, the light shining on a people walking in great darkness, the shoot of Jesse, the king from David's line, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who healed the sick, who walked on water, who calmed the storm with his voice, who touched lepers, who loved sinners and tax collectors, who came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it, who lived a sinless life and who willingly walked to the cross, a journey that would see him rejected, abandoned, denied, betrayed, tortured, crucified, and in his final breaths forsaken as he felt for the first time in his life the distance, the separation from God as he took on our sin. And in that moment, he became one with us so that we could become one with him. Peace was made through his blood, the temple curtain torn in two at his death. Anything that stood between God and humanity was now gone and he's not in the tomb anymore. I have seen the Lord. He's risen. Mary was the first missionary of the resurrection. And Jesus sent her to his own disciples. Can we take the note? We still need this message. I want to see all of life through the resurrection. What I don't understand, what's hurt, what's been disappointing, none of it's final. Because Jesus is alive. And there's nothing, not even death, that God can't transform into something beautiful. Let that bring us hope this morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.